the Parenting Up team received a digital correspondence. They were conversing amongst themselves, trying to figure out if it was true. Yes, I'm not always fun and friendly and telling jokes. From time to time, we've been catfished. Somebody has said something very inviting, alluring, and intriguing that ended up being a waste of my time. Anywho, there was a book. And the publishing company and the author would like Jay Smiles to review it and consider having a video interview with the author. All right, maybe. Who is it? What is it? Well, Miss Jay Smiles, okay, okay. That should let you know that these are the people on my team that are Gen Z minus 12 years old. Okay, all right. (laughs) Miss Jay Smiles, they really would like the episode to come out in November because that is National Family Caregivers Month. Uh, 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 Stop. Hey, our November schedule is already set. I've already dropped everything. Is in the vault. What are you talking about? Well, but just hold on. Hold on what? I, I'm telling y'all, listen. Ah! Jay Smiles, stop. Okay. You sounding pretty strong. It better be good. We think it is. We think it is. Listen, it's about a lady who cared for her dad for 10 years, and it's Patty Davis. Huh? You mean Patty Davis, Patty Davis? Uh-huh. That's who we think it is. It's Patty Davis, as in, and then I jump in and say, as in Ron Ron and Nan Nan's daughter, like former President Ronald Reagan and former First Lady Nancy Reagan's daughter, who is absolutely an authority in the caregiving space. Yeah, y'all go ahead and call them. Somebody about to get bumped off the November calendar. <laughs> Skirt. Beep, beep, beep. Reverse, reverse, reverse. <laughs> Let go. Parenting of Caregiving Adventures with Comedian J. Smiles is the intense journey of unexpectedly being fully responsible for the well-being of my mom. For almost a decade, I've been chipping away at the unknown advocating for her and pushing Alzheimer's awareness on anyone and anything with a heartbeat. Spoiler alert. I started coming because this stuff is so heavy. Be ready for the jokes. Caregiver newbies, OGs, village members trying to just prop up a caregiver, you are in the right place. Hi, this is Zeddy. I hope you enjoy my daughter's podcast. Is that okay? Today's episode, Floating in the Deep End, a conversation with Patty Davis. So Parenting Up Family, we are here today with a very special episode, a woman that really doesn't need an introduction, but what's super cool about her is that actually we have a lot in common, even though the world knew her maybe before she wanted them to. We do have a lot in common in that all of a sudden we were caring for a parent with Alzheimer's. We didn't know it would happen. And 
we have parents that uh, in our lives, at least, were larger than life. Everybody in the world knows her dad. And um, everybody in my state knew mine. <laughs> so it was a much smaller pond, but a pond nonetheless. So I would like to welcome Patty Davis. And today we're discussing her second book as it relates to Alzheimer's, even though you are a prolific author. So let us know what made you say, okay, you know what? I wrote the first one, but now Floating in the Deep needs its own slice of life in the written world. And I like to, I love your tagline, how caregivers can see beyond Alzheimer's. Right. So um, I wrote The Long Goodbye actually during the time, starting when my father was diagnosed, because as a writer, I, I didn't know what else to do but write. So it really was a window into the experience as I was going through the experience. And um, you learn a lot after, after that experience is over and you realize how profoundly it changed your life and how it still affects your life and guides your life in many ways, the lessons that you learned and the experiences that you went through, the insights that you gained. In 2011, I started a support group called Beyond Alzheimer's. And I ran it for six years, twice a week, uh, for five years at UCLA Medical Center. Then I moved it to St. John's uh, Medical Center. And um, after, after six years, I had a co-facilitator um, on both nights from the medical field because I wanted those questions to be answered. Um, so those, I, there were several people who rotated in that, but I was there every every week, twice a week. After six years, I, I'd only published one book during those six years. I had two books that I'd started that I just, you know, it's not just showing up twice a week. It's a lot more work than that. And I felt like I needed to get back to my life as an author. And also, um, starting around 2016, I, every time, not every time, but most of the time when I wrote a journalistic piece, I was getting some threats, some of them death threats, one serious enough that I had to contact the FBI. And I was really, I was very haunted by the idea. Of, and there were, you know, as we all know, there are like mass shootings every two weeks. I, I was really haunted by the idea that I was putting other people at risk because anybody could, I mean, the Beyond Alzheimer's website gave the schedule and anybody could walk in, anybody could come in. And you're obviously supposed to be there for a reason and have a loved one with dementia, but, but anybody could come in. It, it just, I was just really haunted by that. So I thought, you know what, I, I need to take this to another phase. And I thought I'm going to license the group to hospitals. And um, I started reaching out to hospitals, Geisinger in Pennsylvania, um, licensed it. I flew there. I gave a lecture. Um, then Cleveland Clinic in Las Vegas licensed it. I did the same, flew there, gave a lecture. I got a lot of no's. I don't think I covered every hospital in the entire country, but I got a, a lot of no's, most of them saying, well, this is just not within our budget. Meanwhile, the cost of running, if you paid the co-facilitator, if you paid two facilitators what I was paying my co-facilitators, plus you know, liability insurance, it's about 30000 a year, which for a hospital is, you know, pocket change. So when I when they said, um, 
you know, it's not in our budget. What I heard was we don't care enough about this. We don't care enough about caregivers. Right. So I kind of thought, you know what? Hell with you. I'm going to put this in a book. I'm going to put everything that I've learned in, in this time since my father's disease, but also predominantly what I've learned in this support group and what we have worked through. And it's going to be a handbook for, it's going to be part memoir, but it's going to be a handbook for people who are caring for a loved one with, with dementia. And, you know, the reason that it's part memoir is if I'm giving you advice on what to do in a certain situation, you need to know that I have, how I came to that, that I didn't just like sit there and make it up, you know? Well, I might've sat there and made it up, but it was in context of something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. correct correct (laughs) yes yes now if you're able to share when you say death threats was specific to you because of you your family your father for those who haven't caught on by now her father is the former president ronald reagan of the united states or was it pertaining to just the fact that there's some people who are wacky and just want to, unfortunately, take the lives of others who may well, you had a, a sitting duck crowd, so to speak? Yeah, it usually coincided with some journalistic piece that I wrote, which, you know, generally had a some kind of political tinge to it. You have been known to be edgy. Yes. Yeah. Um, the one that I reported to the FBI was, um, it was, well, actually there were six emails that were sent to my website, six in one morning, and they were quite detailed. And, you know, it, it wasn't just me. It was everybody of color, every gay person, you know, cause the whites should take, but it was very graphic. I understand. One thing that I really wanted to commend you on and point out to our um, global community is that it's been a while since you have been, shall I say, knee deep in caregiving, yet you stayed so connected to the community. That's not the most common story. So often, once your LO, which is what we in the community say for loved one, has passed on, You go through your natural separation, grieving, whatever that is, and you resume life pre-caregiving, and it takes on a new look. But the fact that you created Beyond Alzheimer's stuck with that. Now you've created this book, which is a very detailed pamphlet. Well, it's not a pamphlet. It's a very detailed. You did great with, I should have just used your language, how-to, memoir, but we're talking more than 10 years after you're um, in the weeds, you know, getting your hands dirty, so to speak. So share with us what really has continued to burn this passion or fire. Well, you know, when my father died, I, I was during the time that he was ill, I was doing lectures, um, not all the time, but, you know, occasionally um, around the country. I had a lecture agent and I was I was lecturing on what it was like to be the, the daughter of someone with Alzheimer's. I was lecturing a lot of the things that I wrote in Long Goodbye and not so much that I wrote in this book because I wasn't there yet. But, um, you know, I was writing I was lecturing on the experience. 
And I remember after my father died, I said to my lecture agent, you know what? I don't, I don't have anything else to say about this. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> um, and I really believe that. But I, um, I saw how the, the, the things that I had learned had profoundly changed me. And then what happened over the years was if I was somewhere even like, you know, in the grocery store or something, if someone recognized me, they would come up and they would talk to me about their parent or their spouse or something. And they would tell me things that I had a feeling they weren't even telling a friend. They would tell me intimate things about their experience because they knew I'd been there and you know, they trusted me with that information. And so it just, the more I thought about it, I thought there's people, caregivers don't have anybody to talk to. I mean, I was very alone in my, as I've written about in, in Floating in the Deep End, I, I was very alone in my experience. I, I obviously do not come from a cohesive communicative family. So there was that. It, it was a very solitary journey because, you know, I, there weren't, if there were support groups, I didn't know about them. And, and people weren't, people weren't talking about the disease in those years. It was something that a lot of people had, but no one was really talking about. So it was very lonely. I, I said at one point in the book, it was like trekking the Himalayas without a Sherpa. And (laughs) right. I mean, I'm sure some people have done it and, and survived, but I, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, So which yeah. no one recommends, which is the same. Right. It's how we feel as caregivers when we're doing this alone. No one would recommend it, even though most of us end up doing it. And just to share a bit about my story, I traditionally, I come from a very communicative family. However, let me tell you this, Patty, when my mom got Alzheimer's, yeah, all lines of communication broke, all hell broke loose. The thing that you described in floating in the deep end, I was like, okay, we all hold, we used to hold hands and we had movie night. We had family reunions. We shared (laughs) all kinds of stories. My mom got Alzheimer's and crickets. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because this disease strips away everything and reveals everything not only in the person who has the disease, but in everybody else. So that tendency was always there in your family. You just didn't know it, right? It's, um, it, it just, it, it's like the veil being lifted and it's like, oh, okay, this is who everybody is. <laughs> you hit that so poignantly. I think you call that the time warp. That was the, the chapter around time warp saying, Mm-hmm. it's so much bigger than you, the caregiver, and then the LO. I, I was like, okay, this is a, a Jay Smiles phrase. I was like, oh my God, I would pinch her cheeks and spin her around and hug her if I could see her. That, that's what I do for people when they hit something right on the nose. <laughs> yeah, Like, that's exactly right. There's so many dynamics that are occurring. In addition to what you're trying to figure out with your LO, but you, I mean, nailed it with your time warp. And I think it's chapter five, which, by the way, is also my favorite number. So I was like, I just need to put this thing on the mirror in my bathroom every morning and say, okay, this is supposed to be happening, kind of. I mean, Patty went through it, so you can't get any better. But the notion that 
the relationship that you had decades before can resurface, even though it cannot fully be resolved with your LO because they don't have the cognitive inclination to address it. That's true, but the resolution has to come within yourself. I mean, I wrote and I wrote in here about when my father was diagnosed and one of one of my first thoughts was that I really wanted to show up for this experience and I wanted to show up fully and completely, which meant I had to grow up. I had to grow up. If I showed up as still that, you know, resentful 19 year old or 20 year old or 30 year old. Um, <laughs> if I brought all those resentments, and all of that baggage to the experience, I wasn't going to be showing up fully. I was going to be showing up as this sort of muted person carrying all this baggage. Right. Right. But, but Patty, where do you have that strength? That is magnificent. I think one of the things I think the way you worded it that I thought was so amazing, you said that Alzheimer's, you were looking almost for Alzheimer's to be your emotional teacher yes, and to grow. Yeah, I was real talk. Who the hell has that much (laughs) insight? Like in the beginning, like where, where do you, what do you attribute that perspective to? Well, I think probably faith. I, I think God, you know, sends you things that it's like, you're supposed to learn. You know, I, um, I, I mentioned that I, I had been doing, I, I was doing lectures in those years. I had a lecture scheduled for what turned out to be like, I think like a week after 9-11. And, you know, lectures are scheduled like eight, nine months in advance. So that was, I, I mean, it couldn't have, been, I think it was like a week after because planes weren't flying and I, and I was hoping that they wouldn't, I didn't want to do this lecture. I think it was like in Michigan or something like that. I didn't want to do it. And, but I wasn't going to cancel. And I was, so I was hoping that planes would still not be flying and I wouldn't be able to go. They had just started resumed flying for that date. And I thought, oh God, what am I going to say? I mean, I'm here to talk about Alzheimer's and my experience as a daughter and all of that, but I can't ignore, can't not talk about what, and I really prayed, uh, you know, on the flight over, I really prayed about what to say. And I ended up saying that, you know, one of the, common questions that we all ask when someone is diagnosed with dementia is why them? You know, why didn't it happen to that person down the street? Why did, why did this happen to my loved one? And there's no answer. And it's the same as 9-11. Why did those 3000 people die when someone else stopped on the way to work to pick up their dry cleaning or at the last minute took, took a, a, you know, a vacation day or something. And they lived as a result of that. And I said, there it's a human thing to ask that question, but there's no answer to that question, not on this side of things, any of life anyway. The better question to ask is, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? You know, that's, that's the best that you can do in these, in these experiences. And that's what I, that's what came to me at the beginning, because I was in a, as I wrote about in, in Floating in the Deep End, I was in a very, very dark place when my father was diagnosed. I mean, I really was thinking about ending my life. I had, I'd um, left California. I'd sold my house at the bottom of the market. I'd lost everything because I was fleeing an abusive relationship. And my tendency, not a good tendency, my tendency is to run. I mean, that's just, it's always been from the time I was a kid. It's like, just run away. 
So I ran away to the other side of the country, having lost basically everything, you know, very little money. And I went to New York. I knew nobody. I was really struggling. I I thought, you know, I, I don't know why I'm here. What is the point of this? I'm just tired. I'm tired down to my soul, right? And then I got the call that my father had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it could have sent me more into that darkness. But instead, it gave me a rope to hang on to. And I thought, well, if he is handling this with grace, you know, he wrote that letter to the country, which was very gracious. If he can handle this with grace, then I can do the same, right? I can step up to this, to this experience and see what I can learn from it. And right. So that's kind of how that came about. That's amazing. Faith is major. And thank you for being uh, courageous enough to say that. And to share that, I recall reading that um, and not being dramatic in any way, but it touched me deeply. My eyes did sweat a bit. My mother was diagnosed very quickly with Alzheimer's. She was in her early 60s, and it was in response to my father having a massive heart attack. And I will say, I believe, you know, we, we, you never really know what's happening, but I believe that uh, within 90 days, my mother, who was fully functioning, still working, a CPA, you know, a, just a intellectual badass, a financial wizard, just doing things all over the country, a, a glass ceiling breaker for women and women of color in, in her industry. Yeah. Yeah. When my father died, I really didn't have time to be depressed because I had to care for her. I believe my faith and her fast decline in her health forced me, Patty, to get my stuff together to save her life because she was dwindling so quickly. She had two forms of dementia and she needed brain surgery. She was, it was, she was plummeting for my very eyes. I, oh my goodness, I could lose two parents like within six months. And so I didn't have a chance. And so I felt like the Jay Smiles personality that existed was being lost. If not for my mom getting this disease and me having something to focus on and somewhere to put my love, something mm-hmm. to dedicate my life to a purpose bigger than myself. And I didn't have time to mourn from a uh, sense of um, lack, right? The loss of my father could have been a big sense of lack, but instead it was, okay, let me focus on mom and care for her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, early onset, which she does have, that she's in her 60s, it does move really quickly. There were times with when you are trying to fortify yourself, you you think of people who exhibit 
qualities that you like and you say that in terms of posture, you think of Beyonce. That had me rolling, Patty. I said, now, she does have great posture. But I thought, how amazing is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's that thing that they say in, in, I haven't gone to AA, but I know a lot of people have. There's that thing they say in AA that it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than it is to think your way into a new way of acting. So if you want to be more patient or you want to be more giving or more confident, just act like it. And your emotions will catch up to that, you know, because your emotions will go, hey, you know what? This feels pretty good. Rather than thinking, I've got to be more patient here, you know, or I, I, I've, just, I've got to be more confident. I can't be cowering here. Right. And so, yeah. And so one of my tools was like, think of, you know, think of someone who exhibits those those tendencies, like picture them in your head, you know, act like them. That's fantastic. You also tell us about when you see your father and there were times when you could really tell that his memory was starting to fade away and that a tool that became a good friend was lying, telling a fib. But the entire world from our you know, friends, family, teachers, people of the clergy, strangers, everybody says, don't tell a lie, don't tell a lie. Don't tell a lie. I know. And now you got to lie to your dad. And so many people struggle with that. Yeah, they do. And I, you know, and I ran up against that in my support group all the time of people going, well, I can't do that. And I, But once you break it down and you go, you're not lying to be, well, I was going to say you're not lying to be deceptive, but you kind of are. Um, so maybe that's not the best way to put it. You're not lying out of unkindness. You're not lying to get away with something. You're lying to make things easier. You're lying to make their life easier and your relationship easier. A friend of mine, I, I gave this example in the book, a friend of mine has a friend who has Lewy body dementia, which is really difficult. I mean, it's a real roller coaster. It comes with hallucinations. It's um, it's really rough. It's way rougher than than Alzheimer's. And he called me and a lot of her friends are helping to care for her. And he called me and said, she keeps, she thinks there are men on the roof. She keeps telling me there are men on the roof and she's very upset. And I keep telling her there aren't men on the roof and she doesn't listen. And then she gets more upset. And I said, well, stop doing that. <laughs> Instead say, yeah, you know, I saw them and I chased them away, but you let me know if they come back and I'll chase them away again. Right. You don't want to tell her she's wrong. First of all, she's hallucinating this. It's real to her. So you telling her there aren't men on the roof, you know, is that's ridiculous. It's a reality to her. You don't want to argue with her reality. What's the point of that? Right. And if someone thinks that December is really August, just roll with it. Who cares? Right. Who cares, Patty? Who cares? I was so thrilled to see that in your book. There was a line that I highlighted and I was like, oh my goodness, this should be on coffee mugs. Uh, and I, I'm going to paraphrase it. ALZers is how I, because um, I don't like saying patients because I'm like, they're not in hospitals. You know, they're not tied to 
beds. And so I, I struggle even with what to do. So often, yeah. um, just when I'm talking on the podcast, I say, you know, those with Alzheimer's or ALZers, you say they know when they're being contradicted, even though they cannot reason. I was like, that is so true because they know when they're being contradicted, which is the same as saying, hey, join their reality. Right. Because that's an emotional muscle that, that we've had for a long time. You know, it has to do with a tone of voice. It has to do with a vibe from the other person. You know, they might not even cognitively get totally what you're saying, but they get the tonality of you contradicting them and telling them they're wrong. So don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do it. They're, don't do it. What's the end game? This is what I tell uh, the caregivers that. A higher. The goal is to create candy cane and gumdrops for my mom. She should feel like she is in Willy Wonka Disneyland. She should feel no tension and no stress. I don't care what day she says it is, what the temperature yeah. is, if it's snowing outside, who cares? Because right doesn't matter. You mentioned that about the yeah. um yeah. Horse and Miracles, Horse and miracles that book yes. changed my life. And you talk about, do you want to be right? You want to be at peace. I choose peace. I've actually had to fire three separate caregivers because they wouldn't lie to my mom. They said, that's not right. I don't want to do that. They were significantly older than her. And gen they genuinely felt badly lying to a senior. And they were quoting all this Scripture and I'm like, listen, I know you don't think in this little six weeks that you've been working for me, you have a greater affection and affinity for my mom than I do. I'm telling you what's going to make her better. I'm like, uh, Miss Ma'am, you're going to be gone in six to eight hours. I and or the next caregiver will have to endure this anxiety that you've created. Yeah. And they should, as caregivers, they should know that if they're caring for someone with dementia, they should know that. They should know that the, the, the lie, the lie is. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to tell you what else being a caregiver has definitely uh, that creative muscle that you speak of has helped me uh, with my comedy writing improv and making up a story. It may have helped you with some of your writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just, you know, you, you let your imagination loose. I had someone in my support group whose parent um, kept asking about relatives who were dead and when are they going to come visit her and when are they going to call? And uh, this, the person, the attendee of my support group made up these elaborate stories about these cruises that they were on and they're, you know, they're cruising up to Iceland and there's no cell service there. And, you know, the next time, her parent asked, you know, she had, didn't remember that she'd been told that before. So she could just either repeat the same story or embellish it. She got very creative. Yeah, it can be fun if you as the caregiver can relax a little bit. It's you can yeah. let your imagination run yeah. wild and create 
some of the best stories you've ever made in your entire life. I think it kind of dovetailed into another point that you made around denial that for, mm -hmm. for the caregivers, we often struggle initially and it can pop back up throughout yeah. the journey of the disease that we're just in denial that our loved one has this awful, awful disease because they look the same. They look the same. Their voice is strong, but you know, so maybe we don't even want to take them to the doctor. Sometimes we struggle with even getting the diagnosis, Patty. Yeah. Like, and, and I mean, I understand that it, denial is the first stage of grief. You know, also fear enters into it and that gets into not wanting the diagnosis. But, you know, what I have always said to people and what I wrote in, in my book is that, first of all, you need to know what type of dementia someone has. If they even have dementia, there are things like B12 deficiencies, thyroid disorders, a brain tumor would be one that mimic dementia that aren't dementia. There's also something called pseudo dementia that, that is a symptom of depression. And if the depression is treated, the pseudo dementia goes away. So, you know, there, there are really good reasons to get a diagnosis. And you need to know if, if they do in fact have dementia, you need to know if they have Lewy body dementia or if they have, you know, Alzheimer's is like the last, if they rule out everything else, then it's, then it's Alzheimer's, but there's a big difference, you know? It's a big difference. And the number of times that I engage individuals who don't recognize that Alzheimer's is one disease under the umbrella of dementia and that there are many dementias and that dementia itself isn't a disease. So it just goes to how much work there really still is left to do in the awareness of what the neurological degeneration landscape really is. Well, doctors don't explain enough. And, you know, one of the, when I came up with the idea of, of running a support group, there was no question in my mind that I wanted to only run it at a hospital. That was just, you know, and people who know me really well thought that was kind of hysterically funny because I'm terrified of hospitals. I mean, I literally like, yeah, I get panic attacks when I go into hospitals. Oh, wow. And, but I was, I thought, I want this group to, I want there to be something in the, in this scary environment where people go and get this diagnosis that they feared. I want that same institution to be able to say to their fear, but we have this to support you, you caregivers, you can go here. We know this is scary. Right. It was um, that was a nice counterbalance. Yeah. And and I still feel that, you know, in terms of licensing the group, if somebody said to me, well, I'd like to license it and run it out of my church or something, I would go, well, I hope you do run some kind of support group, but you can't run this one. It has to be in a hospital with a co-facilitator from the medical field so that they can answer questions about medicines and drug interactions and stuff like that, which stuff that even if I knew it, I'm not legally allowed to say. Correct. You know? Correct. Yeah. Not in a public forum. You may give. Um, well, yeah. In a, in a conversation, but not, not in a support group. I couldn't. 
the notion that as caregivers, the frustration that can come when we believe that our LO, he or she will not do better. You know, mom or dad or brother or sister or spouse, you remembered it yesterday. Why don't you remember it now? Right? That frustration that continues to happen. We are not recalling that they have a disease. It's not that they're choosing this. And you really highlight that they were giving a they were given a death sentence and they have this emotional component that we can't relate to as frustrated as we may be they are they have that prison so to speak that they're dealing with they do but you know the the interesting thing unique thing about dementia unlike other diseases is that the worse the disease gets in a way the easier it gets because the person no longer know is aware of what they are losing. The easier for, for the element. Easier for them, but if you really kind of embrace that it's easier for them, it becomes easier for you too. Because you're not looking at a person who knows that they're losing their memory, who knows that they're losing their cognition. That's very painful. That's very difficult. I gave the example of my father standing in the living room saying, I don't know where I am. It breaks your heart, you know? So people drift off to wherever they drift off to. Generally speaking, they're okay there. Right. You know, they go back in time and they're okay there. They're in sixth grade on the playground eating their peanut butter and jelly sandwich with their best friend or something, you know? Yes. That is a unique thing about this disease. I think you always have to take a step back and go, okay. I'm going to own my grief here. I'm going to, you know, this is very sad and it's very hard and it's very draining. It's all of these things, but you need to take a step back and go, let me look at the whole canvas here because they're not suffering. The stress in, in this situation is on the caregivers. The person with dementia doesn't have any stress. Every moment's new, right? If they get upset 15 minutes later, they don't remember it. So they're not stressed out. Sometimes 15 seconds later, give us an example of something like in the moment, if you were just highly stressed or emotional or tense, it may have been from a moment with your dad or maybe something happened outside of the house that you felt you were carrying. What would you do immediately to try to release that anxiety or that emotion to make yourself present again? I think I would first try mentally to taking a step back and, and go, okay, how, how can I look at this differently? I mean, I brought that, this up a lot in my book. How can I look at this differently? And if that didn't work immediately, I might have to like leave the room or, you know, walk outside or something like that. It would depend on what it was. If it was something, you know, it was much easier. My father was an easier person to be around to for me to access all, all of these tools, you know, my mother was the wild card because she was the one who pushed my button. She was the one I had such a challenging relationship with. So it would depend, you know. Understood. Understood. Um, there was something that I read and I said, she needs a Nobel caregiver prize for this. If, if they haven't made one. 
Oh, what was that? <laughs> it was um, we confuse self care with neglect for our LO. That caregivers like so if we take a moment or whatever we're doing as self care, the guilt that we ascribe to it is tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have an illness. We shouldn't go out and have a nice dinner with our friends or we shouldn't laugh or we shouldn't have a good time. But, you know, and that's pretty common. It, I mean, it happens all the time. But so I, what I would always say to people, okay, let's break this down. Can you tell me what the logic is to that? Just give me the, give me the logic. They have a disease. You didn't give it to them. Right. So how, how does it make any difference if you imprison yourself and you sacrifice your life and the pleasurable things that you do in your life? If you make that sacrifice, is that going to make their disease any better? Is that going to change anything? You're just putting yourself on this sacrificial altar. Who asked you to? No one. Right. I mean, if you really break it down, nobody asked you to do that and it's not making any difference anyway. So why are you doing it? You know, right. And when you ask people those questions, they go, they don't have an answer because there is no answer, logical answer. Right. Correct. I was looking around for cameras. I was like, has Patty been in my room? Has she been in my head? (laughs) (laughs) But everybody does it, you know, everybody does it. And so and that's. It's part of the reason I wanted to write this book is to to say these are, you know, these are the tools that you stop yourself and go, okay, this makes no sense. Right. It just makes, this makes no sense. <laughs> Correct. It doesn't. It doesn't. But that was such a succinct phrase. I was like, oh, God, I can remember this forever. We confuse self-care with neglect for the L.O. I was like, ding, 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 ding. This caregiver here has done that. Well, we all have. You know, we all have. I mean, when my father was first diagnosed when I was still living in New York, it was like, I mean, I was a really depressing person to be around. You know, I was trying to, you know, get my bearings in this new new experience and stuff. And, um, and I was, you know, flying back to California a lot until I couldn't afford to do that anymore. And I just moved back. But I remember early on in in New York, it's, it was like, I was just a really, I was not a fun person to be around. And I wondered why nobody wanted to be around me (laughs) because I was really, it was kind of depressing. You know, I felt like, well, I can't laugh and I can't smile and I can't have a nice time. It makes no sense. Right. Yeah. 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 It doesn't make any sense, but it is the reality for many of us. My acronym, I say the OGs and the newbies. The OGs are the caregivers that have been in it like maybe five plus years. And newbies are the one to three year, 18 months or less. And what would you say to a an OG caregiver. So somebody who has been a caregiver for a long time and potentially they really feel like they know everything. They've been caring for this particular loved one for a long time. They have a routine, they have it down and they have become inflexible and they're not really able to see beyond Alzheimer's anymore. What advice might you give them? 
Well, I would say that consider the possibility that you don't know everything. You know, this disease is continually changing, just like life is continually changing. You know, if you keep saying to yourself, what can I learn from this? That by definition opens you up rather than thinking that you already know everything and there's nothing else for you to learn. Right. How can I see this differently? What can I learn from this? I mean, those need to be sort of your mantras. Yes. Agreed completely because it has been my experience that your LO is going to change. The disease is going to change in them. And and so there's always something where you need to pivot. In medicine, science, we get new information from the community that you can add on to. And for the newbies who are overwhelmed and just freaked out by the notion that this LO, especially if it's a parent mm-hmm. or a significant other, your parent, you're used to them guiding you in some way or potentially being a protector of some sort or your significant other that you're living with them and they may not know your name. Yeah. Not, it's probably going to be a point where they don't know your name. What would you offer? Well, first thing is go get this book. <laughs> First thing is, I'm telling you that the first thing is definitely to go get floating in the deep end how caregivers can see beyond Alzheimer's. But what's a word would you offer a newbie, a word of comfort or hope for the future? Since that is kind of what's before. Don't decide how you're going to feel about things when they happen, you know, and that thing about when they no longer know my name, that's a big one. It's like everybody brings that up. They bring it up as this sort of sign of something, you know, I'll get in home care when they don't remember my name. I will consider a facility when they no longer remember my name. It's going to be the worst thing ever when they no longer remember my name, right? It becomes this big thing that they sit in the center of everything. And so you know, my job, as I saw, was to say, okay, can we just like take this out of the center of everything? Because yes, it is probably going to happen. I mean, I it's it usually does at some point, but you don't know when. And so if you delay in home care or talking about a facility or something like that, because you're waiting for this to happen, that person could be out wandering the neighborhood and setting the house on fire and they still remember your name. So let's just take that one off the table. <laughs> right? That's a great point. <laughs> that might be the last thing that they still remember your name, but they're, you know, they're really in trouble here. But also how you're going to feel, you don't know how you're going to feel about it. And do they still show love to you? Are you still someone who they who they love? You know, that's what matters more than that they know your name. I mean, when I knew that my father no longer remembered my name or that I was his daughter. It actually was a very beautiful experience. I was leaving my parents' house and I'd suspected it before, but I was leaving my parents' house and I I said, hi, dad, I love you. And he looked surprised and he went, oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I thought that is so sweet. In this moment, he doesn't remember who I am. He doesn't, I'm familiar to him because I'm coming there a lot, but he 
obviously doesn't know that I'm his daughter. And his reaction to this person who he doesn't know is related to him saying, I love you is gratitude. I mean, that really said something about his nature and his sweetness. I mean, I wouldn't be like that. If someone I didn't know said, I love you, I'd go, what the hell's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean you love me? You don't even know me. (laughs) 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 Who are you? (laughs) What do you want? I don't believe you. You can't love me. You don't know who the hell I am. That's right. Like right now, my mom knows me, but she doesn't know my name. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that point. There's an essence and there's a vibe. There's a waltz that you can do well without the nomenclature. Yeah, her heart relates to you. Her soul relates to you. You know, you are more than your name. You know, that's okay that she doesn't know it. Yeah. There's a a few more things I would like to just maybe not another five minutes or so. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But the listeners may be like, ah, Jay Smiles, you're saying this other thing was just so powerful. But these are the things that were really so powerful for me. You actually acknowledge that guilt and fear have a proper place uh, for us, but that they can't be permanent within. We got to let them have their space and then let them go. And you go with the, you speak of a book, uh, The Anatomy of an Illness, and how it talks about a program of laughter and laughter being inner jogging. That was Norman Cousins' um, description of it. Who wrote the book? Yeah, it is energizing. Yeah. Like that is such great language because laughter. I mean, we've all heard the statistics around, you know, what it does for your muscles and the endorphins that it releases. But as a caregiver, what it can do for you and your LO, just the energy of the room, and the notion that if you're not finding humor. You're letting darkness win. I mean, that is remarkable at a time when you know your Elo has this disease and we don't have a way to beat the disease, but we can all find a bit of humor throughout the day or even with something that your Elo did. My mom does funny things all the time. Yes, exactly. And I mean, when I was running my support group, we laughed a lot. I mean, there were tears too, but we laughed a lot in there. People with dementia do funny things. You're not laughing at them in a caustic way. You're not laughing at them in a belittling way. You're laughing because it's funny, you know? And if you laugh around them, then they start laughing. They don't really know why they're laughing, but they're laughing. So they get the therapeutic value of that as well. I think that's such a great point. You gave an uh, anecdote about the Christmas tree. Yeah. And why is this tree in the house? Yeah. And why is it in this room? And initially it was this, you know, Mensa type response trying to, yeah, explain. People trying to explain that, you know, well, dad, dad you know, it's, it's Christmas time and it's, this is what we do at Christmas. You know, people get Christmas trees and, you know, and it was this long and he'd listen and he'd listen and he'd go, but why is there a tree in the living room? And it's happened like four times. And then 
finally, I, I think it was me who just said, well, at Christmas, everybody puts trees in their living room. And he went, oh, I mean, that was it. That made me laugh. I hope you all got a good chuckle in that moment to say, you know what? Sometimes it's just the simplest direct answer. You know, as the healthier brained adults in the room, we put so many layers to the answer. Yeah. Yeah. We try to get complicated and they can't follow that. And It was a simple question, you know? Right. And you're also kind enough to really share what I think was um, so sensitive, so intimate in the what happens after. Your LO has uh, physically left the world for those who are believers, non-believers, I, I'm not going to get into that right now. I have faith. You also have faith. But that's not the point of this chapter. This chapter is dealing with their body is not on earth. You've been a caregiver for them for some period of time. And now you have to deal with that vacancy, that vacancy of responsibility and purpose. And they are physically no longer taking up that space. The amount of space yeah. that they consumed, even though they were not very active or communicative, you found it to be humongous. I mean, your dad was Reagan, but still. It was huge. I mean, you know, my father was bedridden for the last three years of his life, but that room was like the center of the house. Um. Yeah. And it was interesting. His scent lingered in the, in that room for, I think I counted 11 days or something like that before it was completely gone. Um, Yeah. They, they do remain. And I think, and I think that's the other thing of not making decisions about, um, you know, you, you've gone through the, this gradual loss of that person for so long, for so many years that the tendency is to think, well, I'm not going to have any grief left you know, or I know how I'm going to feel and I'll feel relief, which relief is part of it. Uh, but, you know, I would, I've always said to people, don't decide how you're going to feel because you don't know how you're going to feel. You know, you might not have cried all the tears that you need to cry or you might have, and you are going to feel some relief. That's just human nature. And that's okay. That doesn't mean, oh, good. I'm glad they're gone. It means there's a relief there that you know, they're not lingering here without being fully themselves. Um, that's okay. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. You shared after visits. I thought that was revealing. And I personally was very grateful. Yeah, my mother had after visits. He hasn't visited me. Well, one dream, I think, was him. But um, yeah, she did. But I think I wrote in the book that she and I mean, I did say to her, don't tell a lot of people this about these visits, because a lot of people don't believe in this stuff, you know, and and but I would ask her, like, what was he wearing and how old did he look and stuff? And and I remember one of I think I wrote about this. One of them, she said, 
she said she asked him a question or something like that. And I said, well, well, what did he say? Because there'd never been any verbal interaction, which is there, you know, but she said, she asked him. So I said, well, what did he say? And she said, I don't know. I looked away. And then when I looked back, he was gone. And I said, what do you mean you looked away? She said, well, I was getting something off the nightstand. I said, what could you possibly need off the nightstand when your dead husband is visiting you in the middle of the night? Your glasses? I mean, you're seeing him. What could you need? Of course he went away. You looked away from him. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Of course he didn't answer you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's just how comfortable she was with the conversation. She's thinking, hey, you know what? I mean, he's here. He comes all the time. He'll be back. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a that's a good one. That's a good one. My dad, he did not die of Alzheimer's, but he has visited me several times. And I can tell you, I remember them well. And they were uh, very welcome. They were very welcome to my spirit. But just sharing with caregivers that it's possible that these visits could happen. I think that there's an intense connection between a caregiver and a loved one that amps the soul and spirit and mind where that may not exist if you don't have that extended period of time in later years. It increases the likelihood of communication like that occurring. So it, it has uh, been so wonderful talking with you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Having you here on the Parenting Up Caregiving Adventures with Comedian Jay Smiles on our podcast. Please let us know everywhere people can get the book. Well, Amazon and I guess bookstores. I don't know. I know less about bookstores than Amazon's. Bookstores are sort of an individual thing. So I, I can't direct you to those, but definitely Amazon. And the paperback is out tomorrow. Yes, get it in paperback tomorrow. Well, let's let's go with Amazon. It again, it's floating in the deep in how caregivers can see beyond Alzheimer's with uh, author Miss Patty Davis. Is there anything else that you would like to share? How else the Parenting Up community can engage with you? I know you spoke of beyond Alzheimer's and potentially it partnering being able to be licensed or partner with other hospitals? Is there a way for them to engage or follow that mission? Not really. I mean, that's not really going anywhere at the moment. I'll let you know if it does. But yeah, in the meantime, this book is there to help people. And it's fantastic. I I consider myself an OG. I have been my mom's caregiver for over 10 years now, and I learned a lot. I was very grateful for it, and I appreciate the, the effort and the time that you put 
into giving us this resource. So thank you so much. Yeah. I said I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Do you have a comment about today's episode? Is there a topic that I've never covered that you want me to handle in a future episode? Cool. Text a purple heart to 1404-737-1449. Again, plus one, 404-737-1449. Of course, I'm going to put that in the show notes. The Snuggle Up, number one. What a phenomenal concept. When your LO is diagnosed with any type of dementia, rather than wondering why did this happen, consider what can I learn? How can I grow? What opportunity is the universe giving me to stretch? pop out of my cocoon and become a better person. Wow. Thanks, Patty. Number two. I've never been to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, but apparently they are dropping jewels. Just act like it and your emotions will catch up to it. In corporate America, I remember them saying, fake it till you make it. I also hear that a lot in the entertainment business. But around your personal behavior traits, I didn't know that that was a thing. But I am willing to give it a try. Doesn't cost anything. And life can be easier. Number three. Pseudo-dementia, WTF, WTH, WT, ampersand, exclamation point, asterisk. You telling me that there's some people out here, we thinking they got it and they don't? Y'all, get your people to the doctor. Don't let them blow it off. Don't you blow it off. Denial has never helped anyone. That's it for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe for continuous caregiving tips, tricks, trends, and truth. Pretty, pretty please with sugar on top. Share and review it too. I'm a comedian. Alzheimer's is heavy, but we ain't gotta be. 